Hello and welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast with me, your host, Fabio Molle. Every week I speak to the big hitters in the world of tennis, both on and off the court, about the game and how we can all get 1% better every day at what we do. As an ex-national team player, I know exactly how tough this can be. So I'm on a journey to get the very best tips and advice from the world of tennis. Last week on the Functional Tennis Podcast, we had a great episode where I spoke to physical therapist and founder of the tennis tour agency, Matteo Tinelli. In this episode, Matteo explained the purposes behind the TTA and why he wants to make going pro more accessible for younger players. Matteo also shares his advice on overtraining and how to come back from injury. It was really interesting chat, so give it a listen if you haven't already. Moving on to today's episode, I meet Bill Ekstrom. He's the CEO and founder of the XL Institute, the parent company of XL Sports. Bill has been an entrepreneur for decades and has held high rank and leadership roles in a number of companies. But more recently, Bill has presented a number of TEDx talks that have received millions of views worldwide. Bill's latest, A New Way to Win, redefined the student-athlete experience, puts forth the idea that the key to developing elite teams in any walk of life in sport and beyond maybe down to developing strong relationships between team members rather than honing specific skills. It's a really compelling talk backed by a lot of evidence. And we're going to explore it today as well as Bill's own tips for what makes a great coach and why, in his words, comfort can ruin your life. But before that, let's learn a bit more about Bill and his background. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Great to have you on. First of all, tell me, how are you? <laughs> Fabio, I'm amazing. Um, everything is wonderful here. It's been a great week. Holidays are coming up. And I am on the phone with somebody from Dublin, so I'm excited. Well, I've been busy planning your trip to Dublin. You are here at the end <laughs> of January. I've been researching uh, tourist scenes, castles around the country, uh, seeing where the hottest golf courses are, where the weather isn't too windy. So uh, I've been busy working. But why don't we start this off where you can tell the audience a bit about you and what you do. Sure. Thank you for that opportunity, Fabio. Um, I am the uh, CEO of a couple different organizations that uh, so I founded both of them. And forever, we have quantified the impact leaders have on the growth and performance of teams in the business world. And some years ago, um, I'm, I'm a big sports fan. I've, I've played athletics my entire life. I've always wondered and thought this had great applicability to the world of sports. And so some years ago, we took all of our body of research and began to do focus groups and different things to see if it applied. And, and so what we uh, do at Excel Sports, which is one of our divisions, uh, we have Excel Business, Excel Sports, and Excel Education, uh, we quantify the impact coaches have on the student or the athlete experience. Primarily, we do it in the world of youth sports, uh, university level on down to middle school, sixth, seventh grade. But that's what we do. We help coaches understand the impact they have on the athlete experience and help them, of course, improve it. Great. And uh, you provide training and coaches for coaches, and which is really interesting. I was, uh, this is your book here, I have here beside me, The Coach in Effect. Tell us a bit about the work there, how you train coaches and what you've learned 
in training those coaches? Sure. And uh, Fabio, we learn, wow, every day. Um, because what we're really focused on is the experience that athletes have. And, and the reason we're focused on that is because when we did our due diligence, when we did focus groups with athletic directors and coaches and parents and student athletes, um, one of the things we learned is that winning wasn't at the top of everyone's list. As a matter of fact, even parents, when we research parents winning, uh, we asked them to, to, to rank 12 items that have to do with coaching. And coach's ability to win is dead last of 12 items. It's 12. But what came out is that the experience coaches provide athletes, and when we use the term experience, uh, help them grow within their respective sport, help them be, become better citizens, help them prepare for life beyond that sport. That's what mattered most. And so we took our years and years of research and we started to apply it to the world of sports. And um, what was wonderful and interesting is that what makes a great leader in business 90% or so of the, of the same behaviors and characteristics make a great athletic coach and also make a great teacher in a classroom. So we have really, we realized long ago that really what we're studying is, is human behavior and um, the same behaviors that lead a business to uh, great growth and profitability are the same behaviors that lead a, a coach that that leads to to that provides a wonderful experience to their athletes. Um, so we're learning so many things um, on that journey, Fabio. I think what is most important, if there's a single message, I would want coaches to understand, and, and quite frankly, athletes to understand too is that the thing that matters most to the to, to athletes? And when I say matters most, matters most not in just their enjoyment of playing the game, but also in their overall development within that sport is the relationship they have with their coach. And when we view relationship, we look at it in two parts. We, we view their ability for a coach and an athlete to create what we call trust connection, and the other part is to create a psychologically safe environment. So those two sub-themes kind of create this overall relationship theme. And, and we have seen that that is the most critical component of coaching um, that a coach can provide. And should winning be higher up the list? And <laughs> and I had a uh, I did a, a TED talk recently where I, I talked about uh, as a matter of fact it's called a new way to win. I believe, and we don't have the research on this yet, and and we will over time. This is more of a longitudinal study, uh, but we certainly have it in terms of business. But in the world of sports, we don't have it yet. I believe winning is the result of doing providing a great experience. Um, when a coach 
provides this overall experience, when coach develops these strong trust connections, when the coach provides a psychologically safe environment, they get the most out of student athletes. And the term we like to use is discretionary effort. Student athletes, athletes overall, will provide a coach more effort, more, more discretionary effort if they have that connection, if they have that trust, if they feel safe to perform. So the focus, I'm not saying winning isn't important. I mean, my goodness, winning is, <laughs> it's a result of competition, right? You can't ignore winning and losing. It's there. Goals that involve winning should be in place because that, 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 that helps people achieve them. But what it takes to win, winning's the outcome. Coaches need to look more back at root cause, what creates the best opportunity to achieve that outcome. That's where the athlete experience comes in. And can you give an example of, you know, these characteristics that make a great coach in action? So when you say actually, I mean, what are some of the things they do differently, Fabio? Yeah, that, that establishes that trust and connection and allows them to be able to push the athlete outside their comfort zone. That's the mix. We're look, we can all be nice and provide life advice, but how do you merge that with also pushing the athlete to where they, you know, where they don't think they can go? Yeah. And that's, oh, man, I'm so glad you brought that up because, um, ironically, my first TED Talk that I did several years ago was called Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life. And it's about, in, in, in really what it surrounds is our body research where we put science to and understand that growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. That applies psychologically. It applies to us physiologically. So to your point, what you said is, yes, I think sometimes people look at our body of work and they think, uh, in our work with, with schools and organizations, and they think, well, you're trying to create this um, lovey-dovey group hug, everybody sing Kumbaya together. That's not it at all. We just know how much trust connections matter. We know how much psychological safety matters. Likewise, we know how much we measure a coach's ability to challenge athletes because the highest performing teams, the teams that grow the most, that have that great experience, Fabio, their athletes feel uh, challenged. There is what's described as a healthy tension involved. So um, one is uh, being uh, having great relationships, developing trust does not at all. As a matter of fact, that allows you the ability to push athletes, to challenge them, to help them grow, help them to get places they couldn't get without a coach. So coaches need to be more intentional about uh, how they create these relationships, how they create environments of safety. So one-on-one um, -on -one meetings with athletes is a good example. So um, schools we work with, one of the things we recommend is they have their athletes set individual goals, not just team goals, but individual goals as well. And then coaches need to have one-on-one -on -one meetings at least a couple times a year to review those goals. You know, if you get someone on a, uh, on a football field, and whether I don't care whether it's European football or American football, right? And they're not starting, okay? They're, they, they have a spot on the bench to start the game. That athlete should know 
the gap between where they are and what it would take to be a starter. And that is where coaches can get involved and be able to have these one-on-one meetings. So if a, an athlete says, hey, I want to be in the starting rotation, okay? Well, in a one-on-one meeting, coach would explain their skill set, where they are, where they need to be to start, and the things they need to do to improve their skills to close that gap. So uh, that's a very intentional activity. There are little things that we see when we study and follow great coaches around during stretching exercises. Most coaches go off and talk to each other. The coaches that, that provide the best experience, that have the greatest impact on their athletes, they don't go talk to other coaches. They start to walk in and out of the lines of their athletes. And they'll say things like, hey, how's your grandfather doing? I know he was sick last week. You know, um, hey, uh, you're, you mentioned your brother got a new dog. How's that, how's that working out? You know, the, um, I, they, they look for reasons to visit about life outside the sport. So there's a lot of very intentional activities that they can do. One of the things I tell, because um, I think one of the things that surprises coaches most about our work is when their, for example, their connections with their athletes aren't typically as strong as they think they are. Um, and my response is, I can teach you how to show that you care about your athletes. I just can't teach you to care. Oh, yeah. That it comes from the person itself, doesn't it? Deep down. Yeah. And so all these things you mentioned, these are things no matter if you're a football coach, if you're like a volleyball coach or tennis coaches can be doing this. Your daughter played tennis. Uh, she went to train in Florida. What did you see apart from these that you saw great coaches that you've come across, great tennis coaches that you've come across do also? Yeah, Fabio, great, great question. Um, yeah, so I, I was fortunate enough to have an up close and personal view of uh, life in elite sport, in training, and coaching in elite competition. Um, yeah, she had the opportunity. She was invited to go uh, live and play full time in uh, Naples, Florida, at uh, Gomez Tense Academy. And, um, and there were, it's a very intense situation. It is not, uh, for someone who wants to just uh, try it out. And I wrote about, um, I think early on in the book, as a matter of fact, the, the book yeah. called the coaching effect, which is really and for people who are listening. I just want everybody to know it's that book is written more for business leadership. Um, but it, the funny part is. I have had so many coaches come up and thank me and our, my co-author, uh, my colleague, for writing that book because they understand, they're able to see the spirit of what we're writing and apply it to the world of sports. And so I think we're going to write another addition to that that is sports-specific. But uh, early on in that book, I, I share some of my observations watching um, – these elite coaches coach uh, these tennis athletes in, in South Florida. And one of the things that I admired, and, and keep in mind, keeping in mind there's no perfect environment, but 
Number one, there were several things. Uh, each athlete was called by their given name, number one. Number two, um, each athlete was videoed, discussed. It, it was explained. There was no blind, you know, why are we doing this? Everything was explained. There was personal one-on-one -on -one coaching as well as, of course, group work. Um, the intensity level, they earned the right. You have to remember that. They earned the right to push these kids. So they would, you know, my daughter would get there by 6.30 in the morning. And um, in some way, shape, or form, she would basically be there till four, till between four or five o'clock in the afternoon, early evening. And that was Monday through Friday. And then Saturday, I think it would go from eight in the morning till 11 o'clock. So it was five and a half days a week. And the reason these kids do this, and, and there's not just a single reason, but the reason they allow that to happen is because the coaches have earned the right to push them. They get to know the kids. They crawl into their lives. They create an environment on site that is safe where athletes can perform their best. So whether I'm a tennis coach that's working one-on-one -on -one with an athlete whether I'm Michael Phelps' swim coach, Tiger Woods' swing coach, or the coach um, of the Argentinian soccer team, you know, the same principles apply. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. And that atmosphere, how competitive was it? Yeah, uh, in South Florida? Yes. It was freakishly competitive. <laughs> um you know, I was told, and, and keep my my background is not is not in the game of tennis, uh, so I was learning as I was watching my daughter uh, participate and perform. Uh, but I, I mean, she played kids from all over the world. Seems like you know, I was told that if you really want to make it in tennis, you know, most kids that you know the mecca is South Florida. That, that you you go there. Um, but yeah, she was playing kids from Russia. She was playing kids from all, all over Eastern Europe, South America. She participated, you know, I would say she was one of the few, um, I'll just say white girls in the program. The, the kids were from all over the country. And uh, it was a beautiful, it made it a beautiful, wonderful environment. And yeah. You know, her roommate's goal is to be number one in the world. Um, so, it, you know, you don't have those attitudes and not have pretty extreme competition. How would you encourage people to bring that competitiveness into their ordinary day life in a positive way? Um, thank you for saying in a positive way. So let's it, take a step back. Um, you can create performance. You can create growth. Coaches can through fear. That's not a positive way. You want to create it through love, love of sport, love of coach, love of teammates, love of self. When those things exist, competition is fierce in a healthy, healthy way. Um, and coaches create that environment by doing these things we're talking about. 
by creating psychologically safe environments, by by connecting with each athlete in a unique way. Because Fabio, you have different personalities than mine. And if you and I have the same coach, they have to learn to relate to me as much as they have to learn to relate to you. You know, you live in Dublin. I live in the middle of the States, right? But they have to find a way to connect with us. They have to put in very good structures and disciplines to the way they practice, the way they train. They have to be able to be skilled and, and knowledgeable in the sport. They have to be great communicators. When all those things are in place, you can ask me to do it, and I'll probably run through the wall for you if you have those things in place. Yeah, that's it. It's really, it's really interesting that once you can build that relationship, things change completely. I think this is a really fascinating way to look at coaching. There's sometimes a negative connotation to the word competitiveness. But as Bill is saying here, it's the way competitiveness is fostered and channeled. Through creating a positive relationship between players and the sport, you can encourage juniors to express themselves and develop their ability in a far more sustainable way than if you're doing it through fear, for example. Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers, and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. This is just a quick reminder, you're listening to Functional Tennis, the podcast that helps you get 1% better every day. With me, Fabio Molle. Coming up, Bill explains why he believes our greatest strengths can become our greatest weakness, and he tells me about his plans for the future. But first, I wanted to get Bill's advice for staying persistent. You you obviously deal, you have your Excel Sports, Excel Business, and one thing we talk about a lot in the podcast now and moving forward is, you know, persistence, showing up every day and just striving towards that goal. But we get setbacks along the way, be it injuries, be it deals falling through, or you know, family stuff, you know, it can all affect you getting to your goals. What advice do you have for people to help them keep on track? Uh, wow, such a good question, Fabio. Um, our ability to grow, our ability to succeed in the world of sports, in the world of life, is all centered around, not all, a lot of which is centered around our ability to overcome obstacles. And as coaches, so look at the world of parenting and the world of coaching, right? Yeah. Parents, oh, I, I, I assume it happens there, it happens in the States. Um, we're so good at removing obstacles for our kids so they can go do their thing, right? In the world of coaching and in the world of parenting, we have to change the view any, quite frankly, in the world of business, and I will ask executive leaders all the time, what do you see your role in a leadership role? So often I hear Fabio, they'll say things like, my role is to remove obstacles so my people can perform. I see coaches, my role is to remove obstacles so I can, so you can do what you do best. And my response is always the same. Your role is not to remove obstacles. Your role is to help them know how to remove the obstacles themselves. You, you you don't do that for them. As a matter of fact, you look at Tiger Woods, you look at Michael Phelps, you look at a lot of these coaches that work with these individual athletes, they create obstacles. 
They put things up in their way to make them figure out how to overcome it. You know, because that's what happens in life. That's what happens in sports. You know, the, I remember a, a friend of mine who's a sports psychologist for the Canadian women's, um, he did a lot of work with Canadians women's hockey team. And I think, I'm paraphrasing this, but they, they would have a, a drill called two down, five to go. And basically it was a drill they would run in practice in case they were ever down by two goals with five minutes left to play in the, in, in the game. Well, the Canadian women's hockey team was never down by two with five to go until they played the States one time. In the gold medal match of the Olympics, they were down by two or five to go. And it was the drill, according to this person who told me this, were, were the athletes. It's like, why do we do this? This never happens. It's silly. You know, and they were never, they did it and they worked hard at it, but they never used it. Well, you know, uh, they were creating obstacles specifically for those athletes in case something happened. How do you overcome this, right? And lo and behold, in the gold medal match, they're down by two and five to go. And, and, and they hit that point, and the athletes kind of looked at each other and said, we know how to handle this. And they came back and tied the match, and they won. You know, So a coach's job is to not to remove obstacles, but quite frankly, it's to create them. And then coach their people on how, how to empower their people to work through those obstacles. You know, to be a world champ, you need to have discipline. You need to show up every day, no matter what. Is this something that you think somebody has within, or is it up to the coach to instill discipline? And again, it comes back to what we talked about earlier, but how do you do this in a, how do you instill the discipline, but also, you know, not go, not be a dictator? So let's, let's take a step back from that. My answer, and I'll answer that directly, it's both. It can't be all one. Well, that's not true. Uh, well, it can't be all one. It, it has to be two people working together to create the, the best disciplines. In other words, I can be a very self-structured, self-disciplined person um, and have a coach who is not very self-disciplined. And that coach will limit my performance and growth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Coaches are always lids to their athletes' performances and their team's performance. Okay. And I can be very disciplined. Now, if I have a coach who can even enhance my discipline, I'm going to get higher. I'm going to get better. So, likewise, a coach who, who is great at creating disciplines for athletes still has to have some athletes that want to be disciplined. So uh, you you got to have it both ways in order to achieve the, the peak performance from athletes. So coaches have to be self-disciplined. They have to create that discipline. And when I say it, it, not just in a very demanding way, discipline is the result of a lot of things. It's not just a, hey, we're going to be here early. We're going to work hard. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. That's only a small piece of the puzzle. And likewise, they need athletes that are willing to be coached, who are willing to do new things to create greater disciplines that lead to better performance. Now, that's, a, that's a great answer. The Leeds analogy is, is very good there. And uh, patience, in your own career, tell us how important patience has been for you. Patience, I was talking with somebody about this yesterday, our, our greatest strengths also create our greatest weaknesses. 
Um, one of my greatest strengths is I'm a very urgent person. Um, when I decide what needs to be done, I get it done. I move fast. I get hurt. And that's also screwed a lot of things up in my life. So what, um, and so I love, I love this topic because, um, there's a quote out there and by it usually gets attributed to Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a, a Austrian psych, psychiatrist who spent time in a concentration camp, wrote a book um, called Man's Search for Meaning. Nobody's been able to prove he wrote it, but regardless of which, the quote is this, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Because of that, and because of the power of things like meditation, mindfulness, I have learned, Fabio, to be a much more patient person. I use what, uh, what I refer to as the power of that space between stimulus and response very wisely now. Let me rephrase that. More wisely than I used to. Um, patience is an amazing talent or trait that can be developed if you want to. And really what patience is, is training your mind, just like training your mind to be great in those, you know, end of game, those penalty kicks, um, whatever that may be. You have to train your mind to be patient. I have to, because I am naturally not patient. But it's one of the things I'm most proud of in those last five years of my journey has been to work hard on that. Yeah, I'd be probably the same. Impatience would be my strongest characteristic. A bit impulsive at times, but get I'm not sure it's an age thing. Definitely getting better at it where you just take a step back and go, okay, let's take some time here. And you come, you try and come up with a better, you, you think you have a better answer. You make a better decision for yourself. Ultimately, it's decisions you're making. And uh, But Bill, what are your own plans for the future? I love to challenge myself, not so much in physical ways, more in mental ways. Um, so I would um, plan, I, I plan to add to, to the book. I want to write another book that's really based on the science and research of performance in the world of coaching and sports. So that's something that I want to do. Uh, I want to take the sports division of our company uh, worldwide. Right now, we're working in the States. I want to, I want to get this out. I, our, our work in the business side, we work throughout the world. I want to do the same on the sports side. So I'm spending uh, probably 90% of my time, energy, and effort is on the sports division right now and the education division. Um, I want to continue to look for ways to manage my mental self. And when I say that, I always want to continue to learn how to be happier. I always want to continue to learn how to grow. Uh, my why is about growth. And I want to continue to explore um, different aspects of my life and my family's lives. So I don't have any huge aspirations um, beyond that, now a lot of people may think, well, gee, Bill, that, you know, yeah, I think we can change the world through our work in sports. I really do. Um, so that's, that's going to be my energy 
right now is is focusing primarily in that and um, continue to just enjoy every moment of every day. And what's your secret to be happier? What have you found out so far that maybe can help one of us? Um, you know, it's um, a lot of people may not like the answer. Some people that are going to hear this are going to go, yep, I agree with you. Uh, it's all around mindfulness and meditation. It is, uh, you know, five days a week, every, you know, Monday through Friday, I sit down early in my office, somewhere between 6 and 6.30, 6 and I journal. I do gratitudes. I spend uh, probably 30 minutes of my first, the start to every day, um, working on my mind, not anything to do with work. But yet that has everything to do with work. Uh, I then meditate later on in the morning. Uh, and focusing my developmental work above the shoulders has really allowed me to be more disciplined about the physical work below the shoulders, which I work out more now than I used to because I quit worrying about working out and started worrying about exercising my mind. And all of a sudden my mind said, hey, your body's going to follow. So the happiness comes with because happiness, I do believe happiness is individualized. It's a state of mind. When Dr. Viktor Frankl, who spent two years in a concentration camp, says, I can find ways to be happy in a concentration camp as a prisoner, yeah, you can do it. You just got to know how. In interesting. And just one point on that is you travel a lot. Tennis players travel a lot. And you, you want to maintain this every more, this, this consistency of, you know, meditating every day or taking some time to yourself. How much harder is it when you're traveling, your routines are all over the place? I think at home, it's nice to set into routines. You can do these things. But all of a sudden, you're early playing here, leaving hotels here, and this and that. How do you manage that part? I've always found a place where I can open a laptop. Whether it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Whether it's uh, in a plane, whether it's <clears throat> in the lobby of a hotel dining room, whether it's in a coffee shop or my office. I will slide open my laptop, close my eyes, put in earbuds, and just start to type. Just start to word process. Just so I have meditated as much on airplanes as I have any place. Um, I have meditated in the backs of Ubers. Um, so if if you tell yourself your lifestyle doesn't allow it, it won't allow it. If you tell yourself there's always a place to do it, you'll find the place. So what you're saying is there's no excuses. No, there's that's no it. excuse. You're right, Fabio. That, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's down to the individual. And last question for you is uh, what advice do you have for, for people, players, coaches, who and parents who want to be 1% better every day? Oh, who want to be 1% better every day. And that is, and that's such a wonderful thing. Um, a, a couple items. Number one, what is your plan to be 1% better every day? I like to be better every single day. I like to end the day smarter than when I started the day. So I have a plan to do that. Number one. Um, and number two, I'm going to get back to the mental aspect is spend as much time 
working above the shoulders as you do below the shoulders, athletes and coaches. Commit your time there and you will see everything else follow because healthy minds, healthy, strong, resilient minds have bodies that follow. Rarely can I see a healthy, strong, resilient body that has a weak, unhealthy, um, unresilient mind. Very interesting. I really like the plan. The first time I've heard somebody say, you know, you got, what's your plan? That really, you know, sets everything up. So, Bill, that is great. So it's been great having you on and very inspirational. And I've definitely picked up a few things. Thank you very much. And it will speak soon. All right. You bet. Take care. Thank you, Fabio, for having me. Well, that was a really powerful chat. Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate you sharing your time to be on the podcast today. There's a lot the world of sport can learn from the world of business and your positive perspective on everything is really inspiring. Thank you, Bill. Next week on Functional Tennis, we have a massive treat for you as I'll be chatting to former world number three and former coach of Roger Federer, Ivan Lubitschik. In our chat, Ivan opens up about having to escape his home country during war and how that eventually led to him having a successful tennis career. Ivan also tells us about the amazing academy he started in Loshen, Croatia, and what it's like to coach Roger Federer and to get to know Roger Federer. It's a fantastic episode, and I'll see you there next week. Just a few quick notes before we go. Make sure to follow the show so you get automatically notified about new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to learn more about me or the work we do at Functional Tennis, visit our website at functionaltennis.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at Functional Tennis Podcast and with me on Twitter, Fab Mall. This podcast is produced by One Fine Play. James Bishop is the executive producer. Connor Foley is the series producer. Kazra is our superb audio engineer and editor. I've been your host, Fabio Molle. Thanks for listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Mm-hmm.